What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Panthers Nation Network. Guys, I had two games circled on my uh, on my schedule this year going into it that I always just have circled because, you know, it, it always holds just a little bit of history, and that was the Broncos and the Seahawks. And at the beginning of the season especially, I did not think that we were going to go 2-0 and for those games. I definitely didn't think we were going to go – I thought we'd go 1-1 one and one maybe, but going 2-0 and and – the way we've played the last two weeks, the Broncos was, you know, kind of what we thought was going to happen. And I knew the Broncos, you know, weren't going to be that big of a challenge. The Seahawks had been falling a little bit, but they had that comeback win last week. I am, I'm sitting in shock right now and we're still in all the, in the hunt graphics. And I don't know what to think of it at this point. So I'm gonna let y'all go with, with, with your thoughts over here. I mean, it feels good. Like I said to you before the show, I don't think I've been caring about Panthers football like this and watching meaningful games in November or December since, 2018, 2017, and we're not just winning games like flukes. Sam Darnold looks okay. He looks like he can manage a game, and we had a ball, we had the ball for 40 minutes. Like that's huge. We never do stuff like that. We have we had very few three and outs, if any. I think we might have had one, but uh, we just looked like a real football team, and I think a lot of that has to do with Wilkes. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, Brock. I was going to say. You can definitely tell a difference in this team with Wilkes being at the helm. Mm-hmm. The team is playing with a whole lot of energy, playing competitively. Got to give it up to both sides of the ball today. You talk about complimenting football. Defense played lights out as normal, except for at the end of the game. Um, and the offense showed up early on, put us up 17 zap. We should have had more points on the board, but that's a McAdoo issue that we all know about. But uh, we look really good, I think, just holistically as a team from from first quarter to the end of the game. We look really, really solid. I mean, you know, despite the outlier of the Bengals game, we have been in every single game we've played in since Wilk has taken over tenure. And so I'd said at the beginning, you know, that was my biggest thing with Wilkes. Can he keep us in games? Can he make them exciting to watch? Can he make me care about this team again? He's done that and then some. And like Shanti's saying, uh, to answer your question, Trajan, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, yeah, he's it for me right now. I mean, we're looking at the, you know, the different, like we said, we're looking at the slate of coaches that are going to be, you know, on the board right now. We keep talking about the unique nature of our position, trying to bring in a guy like that when it comes to still having your team in this weird rebuild, not rebuild, not really sure where you're going with it. And so I think absolutely, you know, he deserves to get that spot. The only concern I might have is, is it, you know, the, the shine of the, of the interim label, you know, is it kind of the Cinderella story where he's not expected to do anything. So the guys are playing behind him. You're kind of a bit more care, not carefree per se, but, you're a little bit less inhibited. And so then when you do then get that job signed, that contract, do the inhibitions kind of come up? Do they arise a little bit? That would be my only concern. That first year would be fairly telling. And I think the right deal would make me feel more comfortable with it. But for the way we were playing today, I mean, I know, you know, the Seahawks dug back in and that was always something we've been concerned about with this defense going forward or, you know, since this, since the whole thing has switched has been, you know, getting out of games, winning these games and locking them up. But what I'll say to the Seahawks respect I mean, that's their offense. You can say what you want about the Seahawks. They're going to score. The Seahawks will score. We saw it with their game winning, you know, their game winning drive last week. They stay in games. And so I was not expecting us to keep them out of the end zone the entire game. I mean, the first half went really, really well. But, you know, you get to the second half, the, 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 you know, the uh, stamina starts to wind down. So I, I was not surprised at the end score other than the fact that, you know, we won that game. I mean, I look at, I'm going to be surprised. I mean, with how, with how well we played on defense and they were minus their best playmaker, arguably, 
I think that we shouldn't have given up 24 points. Sure, there was that one last touchdown in garbage time. We basically gave up on a, a defensive offsides. That was super weird. But I love the way this defense played. And I don't think 24 points shows how well the, the defense played. No, no, like, not at all. I think I think if you look at how we kept them to less than 50 yards rushing in the entire game, the only thing we really gave up on was big-time receiving yards. But for the most part, the defense was solid. I mean, we kept them on their heels for most parts for, for, for more than half of that game. And I would say for that, what you talked about there, Jason, um, the big thing people are forgetting about, and I think it finally showed what his impact was on this team. I think people are discounting the impact that Woods had on this on that secondary because a lot of those passes that were deep downfield that had those wide open would have been not necessarily his area, but places where he would have helped clean up you know, what was going on. Nothing against Burrs. We know what Burrs can do, but we know Chin's not the one back there making those coverage nope. plays. It's Woods back there. Whether he drops the pick or not, he's the one back there kind of keeping everything set. So I think that paid a big part. But to your point, uh, Jason, and to your point as well, Brock, I think we are all also, you know, kind of – we don't want to say it, but I think not having Kenneth Walker there in that backfield or Travis Homer definitely played a big part in today's outcome because they didn't, you know, they had to be a bit more aggressive in their offense. They couldn't just rely on the run. And Kenneth Walker up against our defense is not a matchup that I was excited about because that's the type of guy that we can let put up a good amount of yards. He's young. He's running downfield on you. And uh, I think definitely that played a good, not a, I don't, I think we would have still, I think we still would have won the game. I think the outcome would have been very similar, but that 50 yards you were talking about, Jason, would probably have been just a bit north of that at the end of the yeah. game. Yeah, closer, closer to 150. But um, we had – I think that it's time to start rotating a lot of linebackers. We've rotated defensive linemen forever, like even since – we put F.A. Obata in the game sometimes. Like that's we, – we rotate our defensive linemen. I think we need to start taking note on that with the linebackers. I love Brandon Smith. I think he's solid. He could definitely be a, a better coverage linebacker than Shaq Thompson. Shaq Thompson was an absolute liability on uh, in pass coverage today. He made Will Disley look like Stefan Diggs. Uh, he just made him look good. Like we, we can't stop that middle of the field pass to the tight end. We haven't been able to for a while, and I think Shaq Thompson's the reason for it. Yeah, I think I think I think you're saying something, Brock. I think we we said it early on, Jack, early on in the season that you know Shaq was getting long in the tooth, right? And since Keekley went down prematurely, we really haven't found that new voice in that linebacker core. Shaq was supposed to be it, but as we're seeing, to to Brock's point, he's not being very much um, a closeout linebacker in those key moments, especially in the passing game. I think the one thing I, I took away from today as well was. You know, we talked about, you know, Dante Jackson early on and with him being out, right? So do we think that Dante would have made much more of a difference on that on those corners on some of those out routes with Lockett? I think we yeah. have, I think I think for me, you know, me being Dante's biggest critic, um, I think he would have made a difference today in that aspect. We wouldn't have given up some of those third and long, some of those fourth downs that where 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 we really could have closed them out and got them in those three and out situations. So I think we were definitely missing him today along with Woods. Yeah. With, with uh, Marquise Goodwin, who's an actual yes. Olympic track runner. I yeah. think that Dante Jackson would have been a pretty good matchup for him. Definitely watching yeah. him uh, get those couple long passes made me think if we had Dante Jackson out there, there would have been a lot less separation. So I CJ Horn or CJ Henderson, we know is not a starting corner in this league. At most, he's a nickel. He's shown us that time and time again this season. But 
I think that Dante Jackson would play a huge part in this game. I'm, I'm going to disagree because look at, I'm going to, you're not wrong with what you're saying about CJ Henderson and he'll be good for, you know, a trash interception, which wasn't a bad interception on his plate, but it was, you know, obviously facilitated by the rush. I'm going to go out and say, I like it when we're down in quarterbacks because it forces our defense to blitz and to rush more. And that especially worked when you got guys like Geno Smith. He was overthrowing and quickly throwing a lot of those passes because he had guys in his face. Marquise Haynes had a sack. Uh, Shaq had a he had a tackle for a loss and a half sack. Frankie came in and bared on that sack. So I absolutely was okay with Dante not being in. And honest to God, I know we, you know, I've been waiting for something from him, and I don't think he, you know, set the world on fire. I didn't think Keith Taylor did a bad job at all. I think he made no. his presence known you're and big, showed that you're he big deserved Keith Taylor guy. Look, yes, I've is. been a big Keith Taylor, Taylor guy yes, since we is. picked yes, him up. All right. I've been because it was again that first start of where we are trying to put an emphasis on the defensive back. And unfortunately, then we decided to do it in a ridiculous amount by getting about eight to ten guys that kind of just fell to the wayside. Stanley Thomas, Olivier. Uh, we had the other buddy from I don't remember his he was from Baylor? South Carolina area, huh? Oh, I, it was Olivier the Baylor guy, the fast one. I think he was Baylor. Shanti's knows the other guy I'm talking about. I can't remember his name. He we he was our third rounder a couple that first year, but I can't remember his name for the life of me. But we kept going on this, you know. All right, cornerback, 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 and so, and then, but then at the same time, we would get guys. We would pick up guys like you know Razul Douglas. We would pick up different guys and run with Sam Franklin and and in the in the slot. So I was always upset about that and was wondering where Keith Taylor was. And, you know, I think he showed in these matchups today, especially with some of these wide receivers. And like you said, I yeah. didn't even I didn't even know Goodwin was still in the league, to be completely honest. So that yeah. was a surprise to see him. I was like, is that is that the right Goodwin? I don't, I, I was shocked. But um, I, I don't think he would have made that much more of an impact. I don't think it would have been – well, I, I probably might. It could have been negative. But I think that the corners did fine today, really. Like, I think, yeah. again, having Woods not be on the field and then when you have that lack of corners and you are rushing more – you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're going to have those openings somewhere midfield and in that second level to third level, and you kind of just got to hope that you can make up those yards either way somewhere else, whether it's, again, forcing Gino to make an errant pass down the field. And and JC, every game just looks better and better. He just look, He improves every game. He's making plays that we've been clamoring for him, and we've been hoping, okay, once he gets fully healthy, he'll start to make these impacts. And that yeah. second one, had he had not – had it not gone through his fingers, that second one was a pick, and it didn't matter one way or the other. But that was another great play and a great he read. Could three. He could have had three. Yeah, he, he could have had three. Yeah. That I Metcalf one when he, he could have yep. jumped straight up. Oh but he yeah, jumped at an angle, and he scared yeah. the shit out of me because I thought he twisted his ankle, but he just hit his hip or whatever. You're slow to get up, but yeah. he could have gotten three easy. The one thing about the the one thing I say about the defense today that I, that that really showed me some life was the fact that we were playing, let's say, call it two men down. And we still came out and we still held them and at the rushing level. I was more concerned with the fact that we were giving up big plays in the back half on those third and long plays, which is where I was going with the whole DJ Moore reference. I mean, uh, excuse me, the uh, Dante Jackson reference. Because I, I think I think no matter what we talk about Dante like that, I still think quarterbacks look at him as a threat. So it would have forced him to make a different decision as opposed to picking on that on that side of the field. That's just my two cents on that. But the other thing that became glaring, glaring obvious today is we need a tight end. We are, <laughs> we are, we are severely lacking in the tight end arena. And that's something if depending on how we end up with the wins and everything and where we end up drafting, if we're not high enough to get a quarterback, 
I would lean towards tight end and offensive line for our first pick, to be 100% honest. I, I said this last week. Brock Bowers would fit our team so well because he is a good blocker and he can make big plays. The way he moves on the field reminds me of Travis Kelsey. I love Brock Bowers, and he's playing with Stetson Bennett. I mean, he's making Stetson Bennett look amazing. So I, I've been on Brock Bowers for a while. I know we've needed a tight end since uh, Greg Olson left. Sullivan, Colin Thompson, Tommy Tremble, and Ian Thomas are not cutting it. Brock Bowers is the guy, I think. Because we're going to be dropping, what, to 12 to 15? Well, right? it depends on how we – so if we, if we at least split between the Steelers and the Lions and we went out in the conference – uh yeah, we will be around that area. I would say we'll probably be top ten at that point. Look at we're still in the hunt right now for some ungodly reason. Exactly. We're still in the, exactly. we're still in the hunt, and and with the Buccaneers getting ousted by Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, and the 49ers, I don't know what is going to happen in this in this league. I hadn't seen how uh how the, did the Falcons play today or they played on Monday? I think no, the Falcons is by they're by. Oh, it's by. That's right. Because I'll be interested to see. Because they're starting Desmond Ritter. I'll be interested to see how that's going and how that will go next week when, when they take on. Also, NFL, this many teams on a bye the week before the end of the fantasy football season, where right? is your head? That is ridiculous. They hate I us. Half of my team on every league had a bye this week. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? I had to pick up so many waiver wire people that I didn't know their name who are at projected 6.7 points, and I'm just hoping for a touchdown. <laughs> Absolutely. Roger hates us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so as far as tight end goes, you know, I was more, I was more uh, waiting for, I was waiting to see what Jaheim Bell was going to do instead of, you know, declaring for the draft, went into the transfer portal. So I can hold back on that one a little bit, but I thought, you know, South Carolina was doing well for us today. Shy had his first NFL touchdown and it was a beautiful pass. And I want to go to that play real quick because that is what I saw. And I know for a fact, I don't think that was a Ben McAdoo call whatsoever. I think that was a Steve Wilkes call, you know, to attack right after a turnover. I'm going to, you know, JC gets a pass for falling on a shore pick six untouched and, and giving up that touchdown because then next play, beautiful play in the sky, Smith wide open. And that's what you want to see from your head coach to say, okay, let's go for the throats right now in Seattle to take down this team, to put up those points. I thought that was fantastic from Wilkes to see that drive put together and, and, and to see it go to Shai Smith too. I yeah, like no, Shai. I think- I've been, I've been, Oh, you go. Sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I forget who it was. It might have been you, Jeff, talking about Chai Smith, probably because he's a South Carolina guy. But at the beginning of the season, I kind of uh, kept an eye on him. And Matt Rule was saying that he was good. So I wasn't really too sure about it. But I really like him. He's a good short, um, short route receiver that we can trust. Yeah, no questions. I think Chai Smith was actually Sean Tisi's guy from Jump from, from oh, was it? one. Yeah, he's been talking both. about him testing. <laughs> uh, Jack, yeah. <laughs> I give you, I give you partial credit, but 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 Shantice is the one that's been saying I'm gonna get his jersey. I'm gonna make sure that he gets us on this roster. But no, Shaw Smith's coming along. I think the other part to that though too is Sam Donald with his decision making in the third quarter where we could have gone up seven instead of us getting stuck on the two yard line going uh, four and out right there in the red zone. He should instead of him trying to shovel pass it in the middle, he should have run it in. So it's it's those. It's those things that I think that we we should have been 40-plus point-wise. The box score should have been better in that regard. And I think, you know, some of the decision-making that McAdoo did second quarter put us behind the eight ball. Um, we got away from our bread and butter. We started off strong with the run, 
I don't know why we didn't continue to run throughout the entire game. They couldn't stop it after a certain after a certain time. And we've got a good three-headed monster with Foreman Hubbard, and I'm I'm digging Blackshear. Yeah, that's been one of the bigger surprises. And the crazier part was having two rushing touchdowns and neither of them being being from Foreman. And I don't know right. if something was up with Foreman or if they're seeing something in practice where they want to, you know, split the the workload off a little bit because I mean there was a lot of scenarios where he was in a lot. Even that Chuba Hubbard touchdown, that was for me. I thought, you know, that was no-brainer Foreman territory. The Blackshear one, that was, you know, just a good play and good open field awareness by Blackshear, who, yeah, I, I've been completely surprised by to see that happen. But I completely agree with you when it comes to McAdoo. I, I don't know what his thought process was there when you ran the ball down their throats. I guess he – I don't know if he was scared by the fourth and one, but you even – you got the fourth and one. You got the yardage you needed to. And I just don't understand four plays from the goal line and you don't run once. Like, that is – right, right. That is especially in Seattle of all places where that's a team you're playing that is pretty aware of what happens when you try to pass on the goal line instead of just running it in like you're supposed to. That seems like a no-brainer in that regard. And that's where, you know, obviously we still have these questions with Ben McAdoo and and and, and a glaring need to get him out of there because for the first off, I he just must have hated Baker. He just there must have been something yeah, there so, because I don't the, the reads that he was making and him, him and McVay were just yelling numbers out at each other. They weren't calling plays. He was telling the receiver run a four, run a three, and then here now Sam is clearly able to make these reads. So I don't know what the issue was. If McAdoo was just you know speaking Spanish to him and and putting him up for failure, but it's been it's the the two performances from both of them these last two weeks have been absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, when I watched Baker get in the game first, I put my head in my hands because I knew we were about to get embarrassed. And I, I knew that that game would show how bad Ben McAdoo is. And it's good and bad because I do want him out of here. But we can't look that bad as a franchise. Letting somebody come in and get 230 yards when we didn't even get it. We got him over 100 yards like two or three times. Dude, we, we looked really bad. McVay made us look stupid. Yeah, no, I, I I will tell you, bar none, if you think about what we talked about at the beginning of the season with the coaching staff we had in place and what we thought they brought to the table, we called them the Three Stooges, right? And that's what we showed. It was a pure comedy when we got out on the field. Um, end of the day, you know, it goes to show you that Baker Mayfield can perform when he has a good coach. They have a good scheme for him. But – the, the also other side of that coin is the consistency of Baker Mayfield, just like the consistency of a Sam Donald. Sam Donald is efficient at best. He's doing what needs to be done to get the job done at this juncture. Mm -hmm. I don't see him wowing us to do anything other than that. He's doing what needs to be done to get us these wins. The other side of that, though, what we continuously talk about and we kind of alluding to is these players love Steve Wilkes. If they didn't love Steve Wilkes, we would not be as competitive and have this much energy this late in the season of what we've gone through as a team. Yeah. He's kept them focused. He's kept them all together. And he's holding everyone accountable. You see how he walked up? I believe it was he walked up to Chuba Hubbard in like the third quarter when he didn't make that, when he didn't make that first down. He walked right up to him after that and, and was telling him what he did wrong. When the defense messed around at the end of the game and that we was my gave favorite up that. Thing. Yeah, we gave up that. He was like, wrap up. Like, that's, I mean, you want your head coach to have that kind of rapport with your players and for them to respect him enough to then go back out and then perform to the excellence that he demands.
Yeah, that that side of it is is obvious. I love seeing that. I love seeing uh, someone actually take charge on the Panthers because Matt Rule didn't seem like he was doing that at all. It seemed like they were walking all over him. But uh, just seeing him do that and also give them, like you said, the energy. They were they looked like they were having fun out there. It looked like it was yeah, 2015. Exactly. Cam was running around the sidelines, handing balls to to like some kid in a Cam Newton jersey, and everyone was happy. Like that's what it seemed like. Cam Irving running around the field. He seems like a big captain. I don't, I don't know. He seems like a guy that gets people gets people going, and I love that. We uh, this is a different team. This is a different football team than when, than we what we saw in the first couple weeks of the season. And that's just what becomes so disheartening about it, especially when you're sitting in this realm of not not tanking, but not, you know, in a place where you're going to be able to get that sort of competition. Look, I mean, the NFC outside of outside of the Eagles and even if even if the Eagles, I think there's not a lot of, you know, set there's not a lot of set uh, set answers and a lot of set things right there. I think that, you know, it's all very wide open. And I don't necessarily know if that means that there's a chance to make a run, but that's what makes it so upsetting is had you been, you know, playing this way from the get-go, you'd be right in that spot. I mean, the entire NFC East is in the playoffs and the, and, and we're in those sitting, you know, at the bottom of the hunt, but still in the hunt. So that's where I get, you know, kind of messed up about it. And, and I also realize that, you know, it has little to do with, again, not little to do, but it has a lot less to do with the talent that we have on this roster than really who was at the helm. I mean, these guys, they have not switched up that much and they had that ability to perform this way, but just being absolutely stifled at every step of the way. And we saw as much as every single step he took in his media tour, just the ridiculousness of Matt rule and who we, who was really there, who we all knew was there, but just really showing his true colors and trying to bash, you know, and, and, and be passive aggressive every step of the way. It, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't like that. Everything was wrong with that Panthers team. And yeah, what I was thinking when we, we, we were looking like we were going to win the game. If we just had the, that Browns game, if we just had that Falcons yep. game, that yep. the, fig, the so thing with the freaking Browns game is now he has been the worst. He has the worst percentage of a kicker everywhere else in the entire oh, NFL. Okay, and, York, and then he yeah. was Justin Tucker for a day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, Literally, I don't understand that at all. Had the feet yeah. of freaking, you know, he had the, the, the feet of Hermes just running around there. And, Oh, that was so upsetting to see. That was so upsetting you know, to see. But you, know, you know, what you do see, though, like, let's go back to what you were talking about, Jack. I think you bring up a great point when you start talking about how now it seems Matt Rule is like the shaman of, of, of Carolina, and you have to give him credit for half of the half of the return that we see today. And I, I'm going to call total BS on that. I think if you had half of what what's going on today, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in now. Um, it goes to just show you. It goes back to what we've been saying, you know, it starts at the helm, but it also starts with the people inside of that that locker room and who respects one another, who wants to play for one another. You know, you even saw that a little bit. I kind of equated to what Russell Wilson's going to a little bit out in out in Denver, where their coach is such a such a befuddlement, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And Russell, before he went out with a concussion today, the Broncos probably would have won that game against the Chiefs. So it's they're playing for each other, they're playing with the passion. They're playing with fun to Brock's point. They're laughing on the sideline. They're pushing each other on the sideline. You know, it is it is that old keep pounding kind of mantra on the side, as you can see. I mean, at the end of the game, typically in those games with Matt Rule, we would have given up. We would have let the Seahawks watch down the field. They would have scored. They would have gotten a defensive stop. They would have done a field goal, and then we would have been out of contention. Not this Panthers group. This Panthers group went out 
every time. Scrap, held him to the three and outs, put him in uh, disadvantage situations, take advantage of situations, knocking down balls, almost intercepting, intercepting. I mean, look at the two catches from Chenault and Marshall from Sam Darnold. Just, I mean, fingertips, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't see that when we had Matt Rule. We would have just let the ball drop or it would have gotten intercepted. So, again, I, I just I want to go back and just tip my hat to Steve Wilkes and who we've got at the helm right now because I think he's done an amazing job with the time that he's had. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. He's got those things on his belt, like especially from this week. These are the two things I kept waiting for for Wilkes. We had seen him win at home. We had seen him win these games where we step out pretty well in the beginning and we and we don't allow a whole lot of points on defense. And I was kind of not necessarily happy we allowed those points, but it again set to that point of the issue we had with the rule. First off, won the first home game for the Pan or the first away game for the Panthers since November 21st of 2019. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> We were nine and zero. We were nine and zero on the road. I mean, zero and nine on the road. Zero and nine on the road. Nine on the road. And every single one of his, and, and and that's not just Matt Rule now. I mean, Wilkes now he had some pretty bad situations he had to go into on the road. The first game was at you know at L.A. So that's already sure. and that was still before the Rams had really started deteriorating the way they have now. Mm-hmm. Then you have in Cincinnati as well. Not a tough play, or not an easy play to play at all. But then got that first road win, which is what we were wanting for. And the thing I kept waiting for. Finally broke that record of rules where we allowed 17 points or more and finally won the game. We had put up enough points on offense to win and beat a team that has scored 17 points or more on us. And so that was where I was like, all right, yeah, we've let up these points. But, hey, we finally trumped that little, you know, calling card for play-by-play. But then it does also speak to some issues I had. Like we said, end of the second half is one – or end of the second half is one thing. But that end of the first half touchdown drive for the Seahawks, that does spell some concerns – because they drove, they, I mean, it was 20 to seven before that point. And then two, they get the, you know, the, the two for two. Now it's 20 to 17 and it's a three point ball game and very early on in the third quarter. And I speak now, I applaud the resiliency of Wilkes and the rest of the team to, you know, to try to, to score there. And the defense came back, but even in those offensive drives going in, had a punt that first drive on the second half for the Panthers, then turnover on downs that second drive going in and i believe i'm not sure if that one was the that was not the uh i don't think that one was the one at the or no it was that was four incomplete pass that was the four complete passes Mm -hmm. which was ridiculous then of course you score that next touch that next drive that you get it after you make them punt so the defense up into that point that first half and first half second half was actually i mean you had the field goal at the start then punt 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 and then a touchdown at the end so i think there are some issues and Mike, yes, I will again say this. I know I had my one point, but I'm saying my other point because Jason knows I've been touting this, and Shantice is listening. He knows I've been touting this. Which running back performed the best today? And who have I been talking about trying to give the ball to more because he did well last year? And it was Chuba, and Chuba showed out today, and I am yeah. happy for him. Yeah, I think you're right, though, Jack. I, I, I want to go back. I think Dante Foreman, he didn't look like he had the same burst. But Chuba showed up today. Chuba showed up and showed out today. He led us. He led us in that backfield today. I got to give him credit where credit is due. Um, he showed us the type of versatility we knew he had. He catches out of the back. He can move in between tackles. I think he did. He definitely did some damage and he did some justice. I, again, I think the offense, to me, it just matriculated down the field like it should have. I think we played an efficient offensive game. But to your point about that second quarter, it goes back to my McAdoo point. If we wouldn't have been getting those three and outs with doing all those pass plays, trying to be a trickery, and would have kept it with the bread and butter and added in some Chanel in the rounds, some DJ Moore in the rounds, maybe some short in and outs, some short routes across the middle, 
maybe that would have precipitated us a little bit better instead of us trying to do all of these all of these big time throws and we should have run the ball more. And I don't understand why we're not using Giovanni Rishi a little bit more. I think I know. Kid, we never used to use Cade Mays before him. Exactly. But I think I think I think if we used him in some of those issues where Sam is kind of looking and looking for his check down and he can't find anybody, that tight end right across the middle, Ian Thomas is not that guy. Tommy Tremble, Lord knows, he can't even stay on sides. So he broke you know, his leg on that one catch he had where it was like, like, yeah. was like his body was twisted around. And exactly. I thought he was gonna I thought he was gonna like tear his ACL on that play. I was exactly. concerned for that man's safety. There's the you guy know, but, Richie would be, but Richie would do well in that. I'm just saying Richie would do well in those situations, I think. Yeah, I definitely think he would. But the other thing that I don't think we're talking about, like I love the running backs, running backs are doing great, but I think the reason we're starting to crush the running game is because this uh offensive line group hasn't played much together yeah. starkly finally starting to gel like mm -hmm. if you look at the last uh, couple drives of the game when we were running the ball all over him austin corvette and bradley bozeman were double teaming and getting to the next level and doing everything they needed to do to get these guys the yards that that we needed to get i loved watching those two work together icky there was a lot of plays where he was looking the wrong way and didn't have anyone to block but austin corvette and bradley bozeman stepped up for sure Look, I think Icky, at this point, Icky, Icky was just happy to get a week off at this point. The, the slew of defensive ends he has seen this season has yeah. been absolutely ridiculous. And so I think he was just happy to take a breather for a week. And he honestly was probably surprised that he was trying to figure out what to do with not having anyone across from him like he's seen the last few weeks having to take on. And he didn't know what to do. But I'll say, you know, one of the biggest for me, and this is even and it's a funny statement even to say one of the biggest sins for Matt Rule was not playing Bradley Bozeman from the get-go. We there was no reason why Bozeman should not have been on that starting roster from day one. And we saw immediately when Wilkes came in, Bozeman and, and it could have been that offensive line coach that he had with him, but Bozeman came in and it started performing. We knew the chemistry was going to be there. We knew that chemistry was coming up. They both complement each other really well on that side of the ball. And I think Icky and Brady, especially, it's this nice, like you have the the younger guys with a bit more of the burst, a bit more of the willpower on that left side. And then you've got your veteran guys who have more technique, have a better vision, have them on the right side. And and it, that allows them for other guys, like you said, Cam Irvin coming in and doing what, what he needs to when he has to. Even, like we said, Cade Mays back in the backfield for whatever reason. Um, I think that it has been definitely one of the best con cards for this offensive line. We knew it, you know. We knew Chuba could play behind him. He did it last year, even when it was half the offensive line it is right now. Um, and it's gotten to the point where it's we don't even talk about Taylor anymore. Like we don't, we don't have to. Taylor's become somehow the worst offensive lineman on our offensive line. And it's funny to see that, you know, just the way it goes. And it's not worth saying he's playing badly. He's just we haven't had to talk about him. It's been he's been, well, he's been able to. Go ahead, go ahead, Jack. Finish your thought. I'm sorry, I was. I don't mean to he's gotten to slip and allow you to do what he needs to do. Get in, get out, and you know. We don't have to draw that much attention to them. Yeah, I think not only do they, not only are they gelling though, I mean, too, with the fact that now that teams look at us as a running threat, the offensive line is able to probably do other things, you know, um, schematically to keep them on their heels a little bit better. Beforehand, they could just load the box and plow right through us because whatever rule and McAdoo had up their sleeve, that's what they ran with and it didn't work. Now you're seeing. To your point, I think you're right. I think Wilkes does have a lot more say in what's being called. So you're seeing kind of that dynamic play out. But then you see these spurts of where it's like, why are you passing? Why are you running that play in the red zone? And you wonder, 
does Wilkes not chime in in those key moments in the red zone where I think he can make some some different decisions. I mean, there's no reason we should still be running between the toes if we're right there in the red zone. Why not do a sweep to the outside? Why not even do a fake sweep to the outside or try to do a play action? I, it was just so many different op- opportunities for us to utilize the skill sets that we have on the offensive side of the ball. And that's what I'm saying. That's where I find concern. And that's why I see we got our biggest gap. Yeah, I think, I think McAdoo gets stuck a lot. He feels like he doesn't have anywhere to go. And Wilkes definitely does chime in a little bit. But down in that red zone, you got to kind of let the offensive guy handle it. He's, he's an offensive coordinator for a reason. And if he doesn't get the job done, he doesn't get the job done. Like, if, he, if this keeps happening, then there will be a change. But uh, to the point of running it outside, we did not have anything off the edge today. Nuosu, is that his name, number 10 from SC? Yeah. He was everywhere. That guy had the, the end locked down the entire game. He even uh, jumped inside, and Sam Darnold pulled it on that one. He still got it. There, there was no way we were getting around the edge unless we had Tommy Tremble and Cam Irving as an extra lineman on that side. Which is what has been one of my biggest issues. As I said, I was very excited about it, the versatility of this offensive line. It will say this is something that I've been upset about, and I understand it's probably due to the fact that we're trying to just create that chemistry and not do too much of them, keep it simple, allow them to play their game. But one of the biggest draws that I had, especially with the guys you were bringing on, Icky, you had Cam already, you had Cade Mays, and you had Tommy Tremble. The ability to pull and create that lead block with about three or four guys you know, out there pulling for your running backs. We don't do that. And I can understand to a point why we don't, but I think that would be just just vicious attack. Having you you turn around as you're you're an end or a linebacker coming into the line, and you see Tommy Tremble and, and Cameron Irving, you know, running up at you, and then Foreman's especially with Foreman or, or Chuba behind them. Foreman's just going to run right behind them, and Chuba will make it work in open space. So I have wanted to see that for a while now. And again, I think it's become a the problem of trying to make sure we can create that chemistry with the, this offensive line and also keep them healthy because. Knock on wood, one of the healthier offensive lines we have had in franchise history. And I want to keep it that way because we've not had that inconsistency. And I think that, um, to again, to add on to that point, when we talk about the red zone specifically, I think it's another catalyst of this just unique situation we have at every level of play calling. Because for Wilkes, it honestly probably comes from a bit of a selfish standpoint where, you know, he could make those calls and say, hey, I want to do this in the red zone. And do, I think what you're saying is wrong. But then, especially if the owners and higher-ups come to find out that you made those calls and it didn't pan out, when you're trying to vie for your job already, you know, you're already trying to make it seem like you can get this job, taking those big risks and missing is going to do you a lot more harm than allowing your offensive coordinator, who's more than likely out the door anyway, to make those calls and it not go through. From a second point on that, though, I think it also is an issue with the fact that we have inconsistency under center. We always knew Cam had some issues with the offensive coordinator and the plays they would call in the red zone. We've seen Cam literally look at the, at the sideline and go, no, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to run the play I want. We all remember the infamous play with Rivera. I believe it was the uh, New York Giants game where Rivera wanted to punt it or he wanted to kick it, and Cam's like, no, I'm staying on the field. You're not going to get that from Sam or Baker at, at all, especially when they're both trying to – and you're not going to get it from PJ because PJ's not that he's, – he's too timid for that kind of stuff. So I don't think – I think that becomes an issue of – I don't think it should be Steve necessarily making those calls because you do have to keep the hierarchy there and say you're here for a reason, like you said, Brock. But that's where as a yeah, quarterback, you go, hey, I have a better read here. I see this better. There's an opening here. We should audible to this. There, Our quarterbacks don't make audibles whatsoever. You have to do something in order yeah. to make an audible. You have to be a guy think, to make an audible. 
But I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I wouldn't want him to lead those calls. I'm just saying he needs to have some input because from a schematic standpoint and a strategy standpoint, sometimes I think McAdoo gets down there. And to your point, Brock, it's not him even getting stuck. I just think he's lost in his playbook. Like he doesn't have a bread and butter kind of series of plays that he could call in any given situation, right? His bread and butter is let me just flip through and see what I can find. So I, I, I again, I, I just see it goes back to it, it haunts me with the whole conversation that um, what's his name said about us uh, when he left Bridgewater when he said yeah. when he said we never worked on the two minute drill or red zone drills, right? It's still showing kind of we're stumbling through that, right? We're still stumbling through that process. And the elite teams, the teams that close out later later on, those are the teams that are efficient in the red zone, that are efficient in the two minutes in, in their two minute drill, and have significant ways of making you uh, be challenged and 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 play off of your play off of your own strategy in those in those in those circumstances. And that's where I would like to see us get to whoever our next OC may be. Yeah, absolutely. We need that red zone threat because if, if you've seen the games in the past couple of years, we've lost a lot of games yep. by single score, single score. Yep. Uh, like, and the difference between seven and three is massive. When you do that two times a game, that's eight points. We lose a lot of games by three or four. So right. we just need to get these little things down because we have some assets of a good team. We do. We have a good defense. We have young players. And we have somewhat of an O-line. If we can just get something together, some playmaker, I think we can be a real solid NFL team. I think the the point to be made, honestly, when it comes especially to the red zone threat and red zone efficiency is, per, you know, uh, starting in the Cam Newton era, we have never been a, a dynamic team in the red zone. And the point being is because we never had to be. When you have a guy like Cam Newton running up the entire time, and especially when you added guys like Mike Tolbert into the mix, you could just run a play where you're just running forward and you're going to get a touchdown. Like the plays we would call, a lot of them, I mean, half of Cam's touchdowns were just quarterback draws. All the receivers would go, the line would open up, he'd walk into the end zone. And that carried into then with Matt Rule, because then not only did you have Cam Newton and he still had some issues, but then you had Christian McCaffrey too. And when we had guys like Norv Turner at the OC, a lot of times we were scoring before we got to the end zone. And then once we got to the red zone, then once we got to the red zone, we just put, we literally just pushed forward. And so I think we have not ever probably practiced red zone offense because it's never been the biggest issue. Efficiency has been, but as far as your dynamics, that never was really the case. And it's a big hindrance because you look at teams like, you know, the Titans, they had hit the wall for a while there because all they would do is, okay, we're in the red zone. Give it to Derek, just run Derek up the middle. Teams obviously started to get wind of that and go, okay, we can stuff them. Then that's where you started to see them run those plays where, you know, Derek would throw a pass to a lineman on the other side, or AJ would run, you know, a little double pass. Ryan would do a naked bootleg. The Titans had to get creative because they were getting too easily. They were getting read too easily. And so for the Panthers, yeah. especially when Matt Rule came in, not only were we not running those things because we weren't dynamic in the red zone, we weren't getting to the red zone. We were not getting to the point where we could get to the red zone. So that was the last thing on Matt's, Matt Rule's mind. But I agree with you, like, because and it's ridiculous, like you said, Jason, that he doesn't have that slew of plays because he only runs like 12 damn plays. So I don't understand how he doesn't have set plays to work in set scenarios. He literally does not have more than 15 plays in his playbook. And, and what for me good. is, he, and one thing for me is, he doesn't, he doesn't, to me, McAdoo does not vibe with the flow of the game. It's like 
we start going really, really well. Just decides he wants to flip it over and change the whole scheme of what we're doing. And I'm like, but why? The defense is giving it to you. You run, you run different variables of that to get the same productivity. Why would you then want to switch to going from a running game where we are obviously been successful? We weren't getting three and outs. We were moving the chains to let me pass. Let me do these these weird pass plays and and then get us out in these three and out scenarios. And then, you know, it's just like in the Browns game. We could have won that game easily in the second half if he would have just stayed the course. No, he wanted to try to make Baker look pretty in front of the in front of the cameras. And that's what ended up happening at the end of that game. It's the same sort of conversations we had the year previous when we had the Vikings at home. We had Kirk Cousins and those guys beat. But what did we do? We decided to try to get pretty and start trying to do all of these trick plays. And what did what did they do? We should we make Kirk Cousins like a, a Super Bowl candidate. So again, I, I don't want to go too much into a dark rabbit hole on this, but the, the issue is McAdoo. The issue is the fact that he can't recognize how to continue a game and progress a game down the strength and the productivity and efficiencies that we are at. He wants to kind of nitpick and try to make things be all pretty to show that he's a great, a great OC, and it ends up getting us in a, a slew of trouble in the back end of the game. So we're sitting at this point now here with a few weeks left. We saw, again, the Bucks lost by aggressive faction. We get the win. Sitting right now, we are six and seven, and or excuse me, Tampa Bay six and seven. We are five and eight, one game out. We got Panthers Ranther on with us now, buddy. What hey are you looking at at this point in the season? Like, what what are you trying to do at this point of the season when we're only a game behind? Or ha- excuse me, I guess probably a not a half game yet because we still have the game down. But if records are the same, we get the tiebreaker over them. So, what's your perspective right now, dude? I'm here to win. Let's go to the playoffs. Yeah, right? I don't know about you guys, dude. Listen, I I've been trying to win pretty much this whole time sorry about that i've been trying to win pretty much this whole time i mean if you're if if you're rooting for your team to lose at at like week a of the season can you really call yourself a real fan like if you're rooting for your team to lose for half the season are you really a fan of your team nah dude i'm here to win and and we finally it's it's in our hands now if we win out we're in i think i think there's blood in the water in tampa and we're we're gonna be coming for them in a couple weeks man this division's gonna be ours soon i can feel it hell yeah michael's hyping me up (laughs) <laughs> Look, we were talking about a Brock. We we're excited now, and yeah. like, damn it, Wilkes, he got he got us excited again. And it's not something that I was expecting. Well, we talked about the Seahawks and how much this game, this organization, you know, a win over this organization hadn't been there in seven years since we played that. Since Greg got that game winner, how good did it oh, feel yeah. to just beat Seattle, no matter who is back under center? Dude, it was amazing. And like, I'll be honest, I going into halftime, I was not feeling good at all. I thought it was over because how many times have we seen it over the last couple of years? Where we'll look good in the first half, what we'll go up like fourteen nothing or something, and then we'll 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 get outplayed at the end and find a way to lose. I mean, I can the Kansas City game from a few years ago, you know, Tampa Bay in Tampa last year. We've just seen that so many times. So for us to like find a way to to seal the deal and close it out, I was really impressed. Love it. I think that's a lot of to do with uh, Wilkes, like JB was saying yep. yeah. the entire time. Um, Wilkes is the guy that doesn't make us roll over and die. He makes us the guy that wants to keep, wants, uh, makes these players want to keep pushing and actually win some ball games. So, Mike, what yeah. questions do you got for us? Oh man, dude. I... Well, to start, are you guys are you guys on the Wilkes train? You guys want Wilkes as oh, the yeah. next head coach next year? I'm on the Wilkes train. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and raise my hand. I'm I'm going for it. I think Wilkes has got 
a lot of things riding for us that are keep us moving in the right direction. So I'm all for Wilkes being the head coach. I've so if it's like beginning, if he gets us to the playoffs, I'm I'm a Wilkes guy. If he gets us to the playoffs, I'm more, like hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that. If he may, if he gets us to the playoffs, I'm in. I'm all for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I will say I do have my problems with Wilkes. Um, the the man. I, I want him to stay if we make the playoffs because it it, it would show that the team is around him, and it seems like the team's like bought into him already, which is good. But my my only main problem with him with him is. I don't really agree with his long-term philosophy on winning. I don't think in today's day and age you can win a Super Bowl by running the ball and like trying to just play defense. I don't like that. I think you need to build your uh, build your offense on throwing. Um, and I get I get why we do it now because we don't have a quarterback and our our receivers not named DJ Moore can kind of suck at times. So I get why we're doing it now. But I don't like him saying that the way to win football games is play defense and run the ball. That just doesn't vibe well with me. I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl like that. I, I can understand that. Although I'll, I'll disagree with the DJ Moore comment. Cause look at right now who had, a, who had a catch today, who had a yeah. touchdown and who had a catch today. Cause it wasn't named DJ Moore. It was Terrace Marshall's right. legs. And then it was shy Smith in the corner of the end zone. But I agree with what you're saying there. I, I get that point for me though, when it comes to the, the roster out there right now, look, Texans, they had a brutal game against Cleveland. And that was just not a great scenario to watch, but the game they played this week. I don't think Pep Hamilton's leaving that place, and I don't. I think he's sticking around trying to wait. Frank Reich, I don't understand why people are pushing for him so hard. I'm, I don't think he did anything with the Colts organization outside of one year. Outside of one year of their, you know, of Jonathan Taylor losing his mind, I don't really – and they still didn't even make the playoffs that year. They lost to the Jags in the last week to get kicked out of the playoffs. So I don't understand the Frank Reich hike. I mean, even the Bills, I, I think Ken has kind of fallen down a little bit, fallen into, into – you know, falling into grace now. And then outside of that, I mean, Harbaugh's not leaving. I don't want the, – the only other guy would be – um, what is it? Uh, uh, 49ers defensive coordinator. Uh, I know who you're talking Demico about. Ryan. Demico Ryan. Yeah, Demico Ryan. Is it, it Demico Ryan's? Yeah. I did not – I knew – I thought that was wrong because I was like, can't be Demico Ryan's. Uh, no, Demico Ryan's I would absolutely want because the way – I mean, I, the Bucks have not been an astute offense this year. But look at – playing that way against Brady – and allowing Brock Purdy to do what he was doing today. I mean, that was ridiculous. So that'd be the only other person right now that I would be because they have got, they've always had a good group of guys on that defense and they've had a lot of injuries. So they've had to keep rotating and he has done very well with the guys that they have there. So I, uh, I have not, I have I, not seen this locker room, this energized since Ron was. Yeah. That, that's so what, I was, that's what I was So, so if you, so if you, if you look at how we are now, Wilkes is a part of that regime. So that's what I'm saying. Like the teammates and everybody is bought into Wilkes. What Wilkes has to do though, in order for him to be successful as a head coach, he has got to get an A1 OC. Now that's his catalyst that's going to make him successful or not. He's got to get a good OC. So that's the only outlier that I can see is who would he go get as an OC if he's named head coach? That's the only thing I can see being the dark eye or the black eye that we can't see right now. Outside of that, the camaraderie of the team, the way the team is playing, they've been bought in, how they're energized. I would ride this out. Even if even if we become shy one game by the playoffs, the man deserves to be the head coach. Now, Mike, who are you looking at for offensive coordinator then? Is there anyone that kind of piques your interest? You, you know what? I, this would be controversial. I'm sure some fans listening to this would probably like roll their eyes. But I... Norv Turner is better than Ben McAdoo. 
L- listen, y'all don't want him? No more nerf. I wholeheartedly, if the man is has sent is has the sense and the cognitive ability to call a football game, he's been our best offensive coordinator, bar none. The yeah. only reason we did not get a successful season with Norb was because Cam went down in that Steelers game. Before that, we were putting up one of the best offenses Cam has ever played with, and he utilized every piece of our offense the way it should have been. We had Curtis and DJ running double reverses. We put up that Ravens game. We put up, I think it was almost 50 points on that defense that was touted to be the best in the NFL at that point in time, and we were doing it consistently. I don't think he's cognitive enough to call – a, a, a complete NFL season. Yeah. I don't know how old the man is, or I don't even know yeah, where he is point. at the moment. Pretty sure but, he's like 75. And, and, he's but don't forget, and don't forget, <laughs> too, like, but what, when we last saw him, like, don't forget that the, the team he had was not overly talented. I mean, Cam was good for that stretch in 2018, but DJ Moore was still like young and trying to figure it out. Kurt, think what you will about Curtis Samuel. And our off, let me tell you. Our offensive line now is like five times better than the O line we had then. I, I yeah, but, the but the reason, but the reason Norv Turner came, y'all don't forget, the reason he came was because his son was on staff. Oh, that's yeah. the main reason Norv Turner showed up. So I don't know if Norv is coming out of the out of retirement to come and be to come and be with Steve Wilkes without something driving him to be there. That's that the, the only other- issue I have. The other draw for, for Norv at the time was it was kind of the Bill Belichick syndrome where he wanted to prove that he could be a dynamic enough play caller to make the things that Cam Newton brought to the table work in an sure. offense. Up until that point, he'd called all for pocket passing quarterbacks. That was the biggest, you know, the biggest storyline that entire offseason. Can Cam conform to Norv Turner's play calling or can Norv Turner, can an old dog be taught new tricks and facilitate? And he and that was what was the biggest thing is that he did. He allowed oh, he did, Cam. Yeah. Because that was the first year that Cam finally started to run again. At that point in time, up until that, they were trying to contain him in the pocket and keep him back there, and they were hindering him. But Norv let him run. Norv said, you run when you run or run. Do it in a healthy way, which he tried to. And don't put the Steelers thing on him running, because that was not him. That was T.J. Watt being an absolute menace. But I I agree with the notion there. I just, unfortunately, it's kind of like a – uh, you know, all all political views aside, it's kind of like Bernie Sanders. He's got good ideas, yeah. but the man's going to die in, in, in the position. So you don't really want to get that from him. You're going to want to wait, you know, someone that's at least about 10 years younger at, at that spot. Yeah, exactly. I just looked it up. He's 70 years old. And yeah. the, they're the, older coaches. There are, but like Dean Pease oh, would be about Pete the Carroll. Carroll, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll today is, is like 77. Stuff. Pete Carroll's age does not count. I don't know what is up with that man, but he it's Cal. It's being in California. California keeps you. He's young. in it's, Seattle, like one of the coldest gum. places in the but NFL. He was in California, so you had the. How old is Belichick? Of- Belichick's like in the seventies, isn't he? Okay, but th- that's like. I mean, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, time out, time out, guys. You're comparing North, North Turner <laughs> yeah. to Belichick yeah, okay. and Pete yeah. Carroll. <laughs> Let's stop the madness. Let's stop the madness. Let's stop the madness. But in this like carousel of mediocrity. If we go back to Norv Turner and it doesn't work out, we are gonna feel so stupid, and it's just it's gonna crush us. I I don't I don't like going back to someone that we're no. not hundred percent sure about. But I, uh, I, I okay, I'd rather go back to Riverboat Run, honestly. No, I can't go do that again. <laughs> He's I, making I, Heineken win. I love it. I ain't gonna say anything about it. But all right, Mike. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Always good to talk to you, buddy. And uh, thanks for listening as always. Happy holidays, right. Mike. Thanks, yeah, you too, guys. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. But to speak to his point, you know, there, I, and I kind of agree with you, Brock. I think it's again this continuing issue that we have. 
where we don't know who our quarterback is going to be. And you don't, do you want to get an offensive coordinator, then draft a quarterback or pick up a quarterback to fit that system? Or do you want to go with your quarterback who you want and then try to find an offensive coordinator that's going to allow for that quarterback to be, you know, to play to his full potential? Because I think any good offensive coordinator should be able to do both and allow for whoever quarterbacks back there to play well. But we know in the state of the NFL, that's just not the case. Yeah. Some quarterbacks are going to perform better with certain offensive coordinators and certain offensive coordinators are just going to make certain quarterbacks better. So I think that is where you get in this odd line of, and for me right now, unfortunately, I think you have much more of a range of quarterbacks available than you do candidate viable candidates for offensive coordinator that are actually going to come to Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's so hard to find a match though. If we're like looking through all of the, all of the quarterbacks and um, OCs in the NFL, it's, it's not easy to find a match. It's not like just picking one guy and picking another. We're, we're, as we've seen, we're going to go through a lot of people and a lot of uh, shit before we find the diamond. So I, I just think we need to keep pushing. If we find new things, we're going to continue to get better. Like uh, we found them with the offensive line. We added a couple additions. We just need to get an offensive coordinator and give them some trust. Yeah. That's, that's and that's cool. the thing, right? That's the thing, right? That's and that's what I'm saying. So Steve Wilkes, if he's considered to be the coach, if let's say he gets the coaching job, he's gonna live and die by his OC. Mm-hmm. So if he comes in and he drag, if he has somebody McAdoo-ish, right, then you're gonna see the same thing, and he may not be around. That he comes in and he brings somebody else in who's innovative, yet is here for the long haul to develop. And I hate to say it a Matt Corral or whoever's coming in, right? Then, and it has innovative ways to play, you know, to call plays and to keep us consistent in the red zone and all of those things. Then I think we have a, a high probability of success. Um, I think he deserves, not only does he deserve it, I can just tell by the way those guys are playing, man. Like the whole body language of this team is different. And yeah. you don't get that bringing in a new coach. You won't have that bringing in a new coach. This ain't the prime time going to Colorado, okay? These are grown men. These are grown men who have ties to Steve Wilkes. So I would, I would definitely say this is a Wilkes, this is a Wilkes job for him to lose. And right now, he's winning. He's winning big. Well, yeah. So, well, so that's my, you know, and that's that's the thing that's going to suck about it, right? Because like he's doing so well right now. He's got this locker room where he needs it, and it's really going to fall on, you know. Like I, I'm almost, I'm not almost as concerned about him getting the job as I am him keeping the job, because right. I'm, I'm, I'm the the the, the reality is going to be he's going to have not necessarily a target on his back, but there are going to be expectations. Look, you rallied the team, you got the guys behind you, and got to this point of success when you weren't supposed to. You did it in spite of it. Now you're the one with your hands on the wheel, and it's up to you to continue that. And we know the short leash, you know, that has been kind of put on colleges both or on coaches both in college and the NFL right now where it's going to be a bit more daunting for him. And that's where I get, you know, the questions of we have to still figure out who our head coach is going to be before we even figure out who our offensive coordinator is going to be. And that's another big issue there. So then to throw some controversy into the ring before we start to wrap this up, we talk about, you know, the carousel mediocrity going back to, you know, familiar faces. Do you, do you, do you throw Joe Brady an interview for offensive coordinator? I was just going to say. Bye Jack, bye Jack, bye Brock. I'm not doing this. I'm not. I loved him. I, I was so happy when we got him and Matt Rule at the same time, but Matt Rule crushed his soul. I think that him on this team 
with a revamped O-line and some health, his, his route concepts were good. They were good. But we just didn't have the players or the time in the pocket to figure it out. I think if, if – I'm not saying that we should bring him back, but I trust Steve Wilkes to make that call. He's a level-headed, competent person, and we haven't seen a level-headed, competent person at the helm of the Panthers in a minute. So I think that if he thinks that's the right call, I think that's the right call. So, Brock, I hate to bust your SEC dreams and all of those <laughs> wishes, okay? We gave him his run. I'm not a big fan. He didn't impress me. Maybe that had a lot to do with Matt Rule. Maybe that had a lot to do with him. He's up in Buffalo right now. He's not really wowing me in Buffalo. So, you know, I, let's let's just leave it where it may be. I think Wilkes needs to bring in fresh I truly do. I think we need fresh blood to come in as OC. I don't want a retread of a North Turner. I don't Would want a retread of a Brady. North Turner or um or Joe Brady. I mean, that's not fair. I would go with Brady <laughs> on that because I don't think North Turner is can see down the see on his paper his full playlist like he should. You know what that's I mean? I wouldn't want to entertain it. I wouldn't put it past us to entertain it just for the, the ridiculousness of this organization. But I will say, if anything, I imagine Wilkes would actually, if, if Rule was, you know, the more we see about Rule, the more we realize how much of a dictator he was up there and uh, under the head coach, sure. but that we already knew. So I would imagine Wilkes would actually allow him to run the offense the way that he wanted to run the offense, where Rule probably stepped on his toes a bit more. Whether or not that actually work, I don't, that's left to be said. And I agree with you, Jason, to that point, the fact that, the fact that he was burned so badly that no one else would even touch him. And he went from, you know, right. interviewing for offensive coordinator and head coach jobs to having to beg for a quarterback coordinator position in Buffalo where half of the Panthers dropouts go anyway. That does serve me to be a little bit more concerned. I'm going to go to the comments. So, Jonathan, I know you ain't talking to us because you know out of everyone, we do not want another year of Sam Darnold. I don't care what the beard has done. I don't want another year of him. I don't Who know put that what in the I chat? want. Who put that in the chat? Who put that in? He's he's trying to he's trying to get a rise out of us. That or he's talking to the to this. There are a group of people on Twitter that do think we should just ride the course and stick with with Sam no. for another year. And I and and the fact of the matter is it's it's just there's so many variables up in the air at one point right now, and that's what's really ag aggravating me about this team. Head coach, offensive coordinator, you know your quarterback, star playmaker that we're still really kind of looking for now. Because now it's more of an offense by committee. You know, there's not really one person that steps under the fold, and that's both a good and a bad thing. You want that to be the ability to where you can spread the ball out, but you also want to have a guy that, when it comes down to the final minutes, is going to be all right. We know we're going to him, and he's going to make it happen. But there's just so much up in the air that we have to fix all in a short amount of time, especially if we're not in this rebuild and we're a game out of the playoffs. And with the NFC looking the way the NFC South does, the ability to vie for, you know, contention for the head of not only the, the division, but the conference as well for the next few years, which we could be realistically in with a few key modifications. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm glad that I'm not the one having to make those decisions, but I'm also not entirely thrilled with the ones we have at the front of the helm making those de decisions. I, I like Scott with a lot of ammunition in his, in his pocket. He's got a bunch of picks to work with. And Scott, you know, he said he, when we first came in here, he said we're going to be in every single trade. And basically, yeah. we have been. I, I, yeah. I like what he can do. And if anyone's going to shake things up and find the right pieces to fit in the puzzle, it's Scott. So I'm going to go with you on that, Brock. I'm going to go with you on that for the simple fact. Look at what he did. We cut Baker. We got we, we moved on from CMC. Mm -hmm. And we sent Robbie over to Arizona Purgatory. Those are three big moves that he made in less than, what, a month's time? 
and look at where we are with all of those moves. Look at what it's done to this team. Which, so I'm which, giving I'm giving I'm gonna give Scott Fitterer the benefit of the doubt, which is why I'm gonna give Steve Wilkes the benefit of the doubt. Which coincidentally enough, all those moves went to the NFC West, which is odd outside of the Seahawks. So I wonder who we're gonna cut next that's gonna go to the Seahawks. Hey, listen, he might not send anything to the Seahawks. Let's be 100 percent honest. He's trying to give everybody else better around the Seahawks. He's got a bone. To- that's what that's what I guess he actually really does. Wow, hold up. That, I didn't think about that connection, Jason. He really is just trying to say screw you, Seattle. Oh you let, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that until you just that. said that. That's funny. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I didn't that's even good. think about that. Literally, every, literally everyone. That's funny. I'll say though, Scott, if you have listened to any episode of this podcast, which I know you haven't, but a, a guy can dream, and you have taken away anything, <laughs> take away this. I don't care what happened with AJ Brown. That was a whole big thing. And that, yeah, that was the soap opera. Get freaking John Robinson on your staff right now. I don't know what position you have open, if any, but that man is not going to be – I understand the the stink that it has now with the whole drama with AJ, but if you want to be able to continue to build upon the front office the way we've done so far, you need someone on your – you know, in that second – you know, second man, that, that, that right-hand man. He might not want to step back going from GM to something else, but with the way he got burned by AJ, he might have to settle for that. Get John Robinson on your squad right now. That is, that is all I have to say on that one. Because the Titans, I mean, we're in we're a nothing team before he came into the fold. And he's might have made oh, no some questions. some errors there, but but he yeah, I, no I, I want him on our on our on our front office. And especially it's kind of like the Bill Polin. It's like the Bill Polin effect, pretty much, is what you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Competency is what I'm trying to get to. And we have it. I want to continue to build upon our competency and 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 expand upon it. Because like you said, we're gonna need those. With the way that the NFL has changed into this super team kind of format where these teams are going all in one year to get yep. these guys. You look at the Eagles and they signed what? They signed Nadamik and Sue and another defensive tackle yep. like within two. Uh, yeah. Another two veteran weeks. within like two weeks of each other, not to mention starting the offseason, getting AJ, getting Hassan, getting uh, um, Der- uh, Jordan Davis. Yeah, getting Jordan Davis and the other defensive back I think they picked up. I know they had, I think they had a CJ Gardner Johnson. Yeah. And getting all of those guys, I mean, they flipped their thing, and that's how the Bucks and the Rams and you know both of those the teams. Chiefs, the Chiefs did it the year before that. They li- mm-hmm. literally. So that's that's going the way the NFL is going, and you're going to need to make those key moves not only in the draft, not only for agency, but also late free agency as well. Um, and so that's where I'm like, all right, you got to make those moves and go forward. But of course, that's putting the cart before the horse. We still have to get through these next four games. Steelers, not an easy team by any means. The last four games have been just ridiculous. Barely lose to the Look at they lost they lost to the Ravens. That's odd. They beat the Falcons, they beat the Colts, and then they held their own against the Bengals. Yeah, but, but they finally it depends on Pickens plays or not. That's what I'm saying. They finally have Kenny Pickett looking like somewhat of a, a decent quarterback, and he goes down. I love yeah. Us against Mitch Trubisky. You think we make Geno uh, make mistakes? Just wait until we get in Trubisky's face. Yeah, I could just I see like, this being. I, like I could just think being this being a trap game. And no, the Detroit game's a trap game. Detroit game's a trap game. Detroit game's a trap game. Yeah, they did. Well, yeah, yeah. I agree with I agree with both of those. I just I agree with both of them. I'll although I will say though, if there's someone, especially because think of the last time we played the Steelers in the regular season. First off. Second of all, though, it is Tepper going up against Steelers. You know, he's going to either he's going to put that vibe out there that we want to come out and come out swinging, or he's just kind of kind of schlub along. But either way, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the season as a, all together, and can finally say with a little bit of confidence and a little bit of you know vibrato, keep bounding. 